Well, so today we're going to think about grace provided, um, and we're nearing the end of John's prologue, and then we'll get into the, the body of John's gospel, but just, just one more week will be the plan in verse 18. Uh, verse 18, you'll notice, is, is God revealed, so there's going to be some, some work to do there. It's a very interesting, very interesting verse, so we will give our, our whole study to that. Uh, but for this week, it's 16 and 17, and we'll set the context in this way. Um, a while back, I was reading an article, and uh, I came across this little anecdote in the, in the article, and I'll, I'll share it with you. The writer said this, while walking one day, my hat blew off in a gust of wind. A kind man picked it up and handed it to me. Caught off guard, I felt a curious mix of uncomfortable feelings. I suddenly found myself in a situation where a person was offering something to me, not just my hat, but also kindness. My immediate impulse was to quickly stoop down to pick up my hat before he did, conveying the message that I can take care of myself and don't need anyone's help. When he beat me to it, I noticed an awkward, squirmy feeling inside my body. Right. So, so it's kind of a silly anecdote, but, the, but there's something here we can, we can identify with, that sense of, of uh, wanting to convey the message that I can take care of myself. I lost my hat, but I'm actually very capable of picking up my hat. I don't need your help. Everything is fine, and I can handle my own business. Thank you very much. Uh, we can identify with that kind of strange feeling that comes when somebody might extend kindness to us where we feel like we would have much rather demonstrated our total self-sufficiency. Um, and, and, and why is that? Well, that's because we don't like to feel needy. Uh, we like to both feel that we're in total control, and we like to make sure that everyone around us knows that we're very capable of being in control of our own situations. We're creators of our own best life, and we are picker-uppers of our own hats. Right? I'm not weak. I can do it myself. We don't want to be unable. And this affects how we categorize everything in life. Uh, Charles Taylor, the Canadian philosopher, he writes about this kind of frame of mind in our modern day. So he, he differentiates between what he calls the, the porous self and the buffered self. In an earlier era, like in the pre-modern world, Taylor says, we as humanity viewed ourselves as porous, as, as full of holes. Uh, when, when technology was less and when concerns, even about how, how maybe spiritual beings, demons, other things might affect our lives, we thought of ourselves as porous. We were we were. We had holes. We were vulnerable, dependent. We felt our weakness, and we had to live with that, and in the midst of that, find some kind of rest. That was a kind of pre-modernity human posture. However, Taylor says, in our modern day, we don't like to think of ourselves as porous. Instead, we live in a day of the buffered self, as he calls it. Uh, so we put up boundaries. We put up blockades. We put up those buffer zones. If, if there's weakness, we don't seek solace and rest uh, from help that's above us or help that's outside of us, but instead we figure out ways to put distance, we put that buffer zone in between us and whatever the struggle might be. Uh, we think along the lines of external factors always being to blame, and I will deal with things best by putting up these, these barricades, by putting up distance between me and whatever that particular thing is going on. And the example that he gives in his writing is speaking about uh, depression that can, that can affect us as humanity. So he said in an earlier era, we would be comfortable speaking about having a melancholy spirit. In our time, we're very uncomfortable with something like that being true about me. Instead, we like to talk about chemical imbalances and things like that. So we externalize it. So the poorest self, full of holes, feeling our weakness. No, we're going to do away with that. We now live in this posture of buffering, always putting up a, a, a wall to show that we're actually very capable of handling 
our own business. Um, and of course, uh, the problem with that is that we're not really buffered people. As humans, we are porous. We, we, we can't hold back what makes us weak. Quite the opposite. We do have holes. We need, we need people to pick up our hats for us, uh, which is a hard thing to admit at times. But even as we think about that modern frame of mind as it relates to our lives of faith, it's really only in coming to recognize our continuing neediness that the Christian gospel begins to make sense. If we insist on seeing ourselves as sufficient, if we insist that we can put the necessary space between us and our struggles in order to be okay, if we do that, uh, we externalize all problems, leaving no honest room to reflect on the reality that we actually are very weak and needy. Uh, so Stanley Horowitz, in his book, Naming the Silence, he makes this comment. He says, one of the profoundest forms of faithlessness is the unwillingness to acknowledge our inexplicable suffering and pain. Okay, let me just read that again. One of the profoundest forms of faithlessness is the unwillingness to acknowledge our inexplicable suffering and pain. In other words, it's actually faithless to say, I'm okay all the time. Right? Or to use Bonhoeffer's words, he says, it's only the suffering God can help. Right? Which, which rings of Christ's own words in Matthew chapter 5, where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? So, so we don't want to be needy. We can pick up our own hats. We don't, we don't want to have holes. We want to be strong enough to put up the walls and the barricades that seem necessary. But in reality, we are weak and we are needy. And actually, we're even weaker and needier than we would ever at first imagine. In fact, one of, the, one of the biggest and most important truths we can come to terms with in this life is that we're more needy than we can ever compensate for. It's, it's not just that we're a little weak here and there. In fact, it's much worse than that. And then in the big cosmic and eternal picture, it's not just that we're porous. It's not just that we're vulnerable, but we have actually incurred a debt which we are unable to pay. As humanity, we've sinned against the God who made us, so we've We've actively lived in personal, decisive, arrogant rebellion against the way of life our perfectly righteous creator has called us to live. And that has put us in such a lost place, we can never be good enough to merit any kind of favorable position before God. This is, this is our neediness in the most ultimate and cosmic sense. So much so that the only hope we have is grace. The, the only hope we have uh, for, for our deep need to be met is that the one whom we're indebted to in our sin will extend mercy to us that is beyond what we could ever earn, beyond what we could ever merit, right? Which, of course, is the amazing thing about the gospel and that our need for grace, which can only be granted from God on high, it's been granted, and it's not just been granted, but that restorative mercy and favor has come down in the person of Jesus Christ. Whether, whether we want to admit it or not, what the message of the gospel shows us is that we need help that's bigger than we can even fathom. We, we didn't just lose our hat in the wind. We lost our life in the fall. We're done. We need more help than we can ever imagine. But at the same time, the gospel tells us that grace, which completely makes us safe, is provided for us in the person of Jesus and the work that he did in his coming. And it's this grace provided in Jesus that John is speaking to us about in verses 16 and 17. And again, John does this in his introductory comments in these first 18 verses. He includes this here in order to prepare us 
to see how this grace provided through Jesus actually plays out in the course of the gospel record that he's going to give to us. And so that we're also prepared to see how this grace plays out from Jesus in the course of our own lives. And, and so as we come to these two verses, we, we come to a, a source of great hope uh, simply as we acknowledge that we like to be buffered selves. We, we like to be selves with walls up and reasons given and programs in place to explain and deal with, with any kind of perceived weakness or frailty or vulnerability or need. But if we're really having an honest moment, we all know it's much worse than we can ever handle on our own. And it might feel strange, but we are in need of extreme help. We, we need something more than we could ever provide for ourselves, we need something more uh, than we could ever provide for ourselves in terms of protection and restoration. We need grace from Jesus, which means that if we're going to think well about Christ, whether we're beginning to consider him or whether we've been a Christian for a long time, this means that we don't ever outgrow the need to reconsider and consider again and again the reality of Christ's grace. We never get past that. And at the same time, this means that we don't come in, say, to a corporate worship service. We don't come into the Christian life in general. We don't come in strong. Right? We don't come in saying, I'm not needy. Right? I'm not needy doesn't work here. To say, I can fix it alone, that doesn't work here. To say, I can keep it all under control, that won't last. Instead, we say, I need what I don't deserve. And in my need, I see that Jesus is the one who provides. So Samuel Rutherford, the, uh, the, the preacher from an earlier century, he said, the main thing we must always remember in the Christian life is down with your topsail. Down with your topsail. That big sail that flies high and makes it look like we're blowing through the, through the seas all on our own. He says, put that down. We can't, we can't come in that way into the Christian life. We need grace. And so that's what we have here in these, in these verses this morning. Grace provided. And so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to divide our study just into three parts here. Uh, the first thing we'll talk about is the reach of this grace, and then we'll say something about the source of grace, and then finally, uh, Jesus being the substance of grace. We've got reach, source, and substance, if you're a note taker and that helps you. Um, so first of all, the reach of this grace. Now, um, to speak about this, we do need to start with a good working definition of terms here. It's always good to do that. Uh, John says in verse 16 that we have all received... Uh, grace upon grace from Jesus's fullness. And we'll work out more specifically what that statement grace upon grace speaks to under our last section this morning. But, but we need to have a working definition of grace as we go along. And then we can put it in a number of different ways. Even if I just say the word, we have a connotation. It has connotations. We know what it means. Um, but it does help just to define things, thinking, thinking maybe along the lines of how the word itself, the Greek word that's here, is just a term for extended favor, favor that's extended. Um, it's used more pointedly in Scripture as all the theological attachment comes with it. It's used more, more pointedly to speak to exceptional benefit flowing from another's goodwill. That's how, that's how some scholars define it in Greek dictionaries. Exceptional benefit flowing from another's goodwill. And that's what we're speaking about here, this exceptional benefit from the goodwill of God through Christ extended to us. That's grace. Or to put it another way, last week we used the language of unwavering, merciful goodness from God. Merciful goodness from God that never changes toward us. That's, that's grace. It has to do with this undeserved favor extended to us as a gift. And so with that in mind, we see in our verse that one thing John wants to make clear 
it, it is something about the, the reach, the extent of this exceptional goodness from God. Because John says, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace. So, so we have this phrase, we all. Last week, we talked about how the we back in verse 14 was a fixed, closed set of people. That we back in verse 14 was the group that saw Jesus in the flesh during his earthly life and ministry. Men like John the Apostle, John the Baptist, Matthew, Peter, and others. Right? That verse 14 we was a closed, exclusive set of people who physically witnessed the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. However, here, John is very pointed in making sure that the we is not a closed set, but it's a very open and inclusive set. When it comes to the grace that's offered through Christ, we all have received it. Just like the for all who believed in Jesus, Jesus gave them the right to be children of God back in verse, back in verse 12. Just like that all, this we all here refers to every single person who will come to Jesus Christ in faith. We all. John and anybody else who's going to come and trust in Jesus. For every single person who comes to Jesus, trusting Him and His Word, the, the exceptional, unmerited kindness from God is provided to them. There's unending reach to this grace. All who come. All who come. And on the one hand, this can sound like a basic thing to say, but it's such a central and important truth to be reminded of. Uh, not least of all, as we keep studying John's gospel, we're going to see how, how the reach of grace from Christ plays out in a number of different ways. It extends to all kinds of people without exception. Right? So, for example, it's presented to a man named Nicodemus, someone who is, who is high up and respected in social and religious circles. And then at the same time, this grace is also offered to a woman who's had many husbands and was currently living with a man who wasn't her husband. So this grace is also wonderfully offered to a lady who would have been counted on the outskirts of acceptable norms in society during that time. Then this grace is offered to a paralyzed man. And this grace is offered to crowds of people. And this grace is offered to Thomas, who's unsure what to think about the resurrected Jesus. And this grace is offered to Peter, who denied Jesus multiple times in his deepest hour of need. In Christ, we have far-reaching grace. It's for all who believe in Him. There's no shortage of availability of God's undeserved kindness for any who come to Jesus. And, that, and that's so important to make clear because some may find themselves outside Christianity looking in, thinking to themselves, I don't deserve kindness from God. Or, or even like the man with the hat, which we, which we read about. It's not just that I don't deserve kindness, but I feel kind of funny taking unmerited kindness from God. Uh, I, I would feel much better if I got to earn some of it. At least give me credit for doing something to get part of the gift so I could have my part to play. Because probably I'm not really the kind of person who should get just all this grace. I mean, if you knew where I've come from, or if you knew the kinds of things that reside in my heart and in the privacy of my thoughts, those kinds of things I'm struggling with. No, grace like this doesn't come for a person like me. I would at least like to come in and do 30 to 40% of the work. But no, John says, that, that's, all, that's all backwards. The exceptional benefit of God's kindness through Jesus is for all. All backgrounds, all situations, all desperations, all discouragements, all sinful nature, all, all kinds of stuff that we can find ourselves twisted up in. The grace of God comes to us in that. The life that's there from Jesus, the forgiveness of sin that's there because of him, restoration, transformation, ultimate future hope. Uh, we recognize that we are porous. Right? We're full of holes, but in Christ there is complete supply of, of, of the 
completely exceptional gift of unearned mercy that comes all the way to us. And that there's no one so bad or so proud or so twisted up that they're beyond its reach. It's there for all who will yield to Jesus. It's actually interesting, the word that's translated receive here in verse 16. It's an interesting verb form in that what is in view is not is not a continuous act of receiving grace, but a single act of receiving grace. But it's just something to take take note of here. Now, of course, we know that the grace that comes through Christ, it's obviously continual, isn't it? We know this because we all got up this morning, right? It's, it's continual. All of our life, the daily grace, the eternal grace we need, it pours out and pours out and pours out. Christ is the fountain that never runs dry. We sing a song about that, right? But, but, but here a different point is made and that the application from Christ to all who believe is there in all its fullness for you once and for all right now. It is viewed as this significant event in our lives as Christian believers. It's viewed as a once and done reality. There's not a, a grace meter that fills up over time. So, so, so it's not like I'm looking forward to year 23 of my Christian life and the grace I'll have then if I just do well enough. No, it's all of grace for all believers all now. We don't earn a greater portion that the full portion of Christ's unmerited kindness is ours right now. For all who believe, you get all grace. You see the connection that's, that's made there. Right? And that changes how we view things. Because the grace that comes for all is not a, a small dose of kindness incrementally increasing over time. But instead, it is the whole dose of God's merciful, sustaining, forgiving benefit given once for all time. You do not come into the Christian life with less grace than a more mature Christian believer. We all come with all grace from Christ himself, which, which makes us very thankful. Right? Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the kindness you extend is full and complete for me right now. This is the kind of grace to which the thief on the cross could say amen. The fullness of saving grace extended to him in the final moments before his death. And this is the kind of grace that we can all speak about as we go on in the Christian life, saying, I'm so thankful for all of these years. Christ has been so kind to me in showing me his restorative favor. And so we have our own Christian lives framed by this. We've all received grace completely. It's yours. It's mine. That's the reach of God's exceptional, unmerited kindness for us through Jesus. That's the reach of grace. So there's, there's the reach of grace. Now let's say something about Jesus as the source of grace. Again, we're back in verse 16. We have, we have all received grace upon grace from His fullness. From His fullness. Now this idea of fullness, uh, this is something that's actually been alluded to thematically and also spoken about directly already in the introduction to John's Gospel. Uh, this idea of fullness. Remember from last week how John spoke about the fullness as it's, as it's uh, related to Jesus' coming and that, and that John and others physically witnessed Jesus full of grace and truth. Right? Remember how that grace and truth language took us back to God's revelation of himself uh, to Moses on Sinai where Moses asked to see God's glory. And the Lord responded by saying, I'm going to have my goodness pass before you. And in that passing by, the Lord proclaimed that he is full of grace and truth. And that's who Jesus is. He's the one who is God himself, full of grace and truth. The, the, the goodness of God is revealed in the fullness of what was physically displayed in Jesus' ministry. 
So we see fullness of grace as we read through John's gospel. There's fullness of grace in Jesus' compassion toward those who are needy. There's fullness of grace and truth displayed in the anger and sorrow Jesus will have at the grave of Lazarus over death. Jesus was full of grace and truth. There's already fullness that's been been, uh, expounded for us here in this prologue. So it's this truth that's been brought up, but it's also a truth that has been presented more thematically throughout the prologue. Really, if we're reflective, we get to this point and we think, well, obviously the fullness of all grace dwells in Christ. Because just think of what we've been told about Jesus so far. The word was with God and the word was God. So in Jesus, there's the fullness of divinity. We've already been told that. Through him, all things came into being and apart from him, nothing was made that's that's been made. In Jesus, there's the fullness of creative power. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Jesus, there's the fullness of what gives life to all humanity. For all who believed in him, he gave the right to be children of God. In Jesus, there's the fullness of adoption rights for us as we become children of God instead of enemies of God. You see how fullness is really all throughout these verses conceptually. And so now John just puts a punctuation mark on that truth when he says, we have all received grace upon grace from his what fullness. Like what we've just been talking about. The fact that he is himself God. The fact that anything that's ever been has come into being through him. The fact that the joys of redemption that we celebrate as God's children. That's all from his fullness. This is all what he's done. So it's no surprise to us that the grace upon grace that we're going to receive comes from his fullness. The bigness of who he is. The completeness of who he is. This means that while the reach of grace from God extends to all kinds of people, anyone who will trust in Jesus, that's as far as his grace will go to all who will trust in him. This also means that Christ is the unique source of that grace. In other words, it's not as if Christ is the partial source of God's extension of kindness toward us. And then we need to look to augment that gift with some other kinds of grace to make sure that we're really okay with God. No, no, this grace is for all completely sourced in Jesus's fullness. And again, this has implications for us as we think about what it really means to trust in Jesus. Because not only does grace reach to all, but Jesus is also shown to be the true source of this grace that flows. There's not a need to add other things in that would bolster up favor with God because of what's already provided in Jesus, he's the one who has full supply. And, and this matters because we can get into situations, even almost subconsciously as we're going through life, we can get into situations where we stop living like the fullness of grace is sourced in Christ. Right? We, we, we might live like part of the grace we need is sourced in Christ, but part is also sourced over here and needs to be added in or over there and needs to be supplemented just a little bit. C.S. Lewis speaks to this so well, and I know I've read this to you before. In fact, I looked it up to make sure I haven't read it to you too many times. Only in two other sermons, so I'm going to give it a third. Right? Three is complete, right? We'll give, we'll give it three. This is out of the screw tape letters where, where, where an understudy demon is being trained in how to discourage a believer's faith. And this is the advice from the more senior uh, demon that, that, that is given. He says, the real trouble about the set your patient is living in is that it's merely Christian." They all have individual interests, of course, but the bond remains mere Christianity. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and. You know, Christianity and the crisis, 
Christianity and the new psychology, Christianity and the new order, Christianity and faith healing, Christianity and psychical research, Christianity and vegetarianism, Christianity and spelling reform. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Okay? Christianity and. Okay? The thinking goes that if I'm really going to have the fullness of grace I need, you know, or if my marriage is really going to have the fullness of grace we need, or if my kids are really going to experience the fullness of grace as Christians, then we need to supplement the supply of grace found in Christ. Christianity and. Christianity plus this particular political view. Christianity plus this particular schooling method. Christianity plus this or that routine for family life. Christianity plus this or that book. Christianity and the list goes on and on. And while all these elements are certainly matters of wisdom that we don't want to neglect, none of them are sources of ultimate grace. The Lord speaks about this in its most dramatic form, really through the prophet Jeremiah. Through Jeremiah, he says, My people have abandoned me, the fountain of living water and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can't hold water. Let's go find the fullness of grace over here. But no, those are cracked containers. They can't hold the fullness of the grace that we need. The reconciling and hope-giving gift of God's kindness flows from Christ's fullness alone. He's the source. And so we check ourselves by this. How, how is this going for you? How is this going for me? Am I seeking to source things that will make me okay in ultimate categories but are slightly removed from the sufficiency of Christ alone? Am I seeking to source those things in places other than what is offered in Jesus? Have I added my own and to Jesus? Jesus and. And I'll tell you one way to check. You can do a quick review and, and, and just see if personal preferences in life have slid into moral categories for you. We do this as parents, don't we? I mean, at least I hope you do. It would make me feel better if you did, because I do. Right? Things that we just tend to prefer, we start putting righteous stamps on just because we like it better. Right? And we can start to do that in our Christian life in such a way that those things become central. And instead of grace found in Christ, grace is found in making sure all of those things are tightened up and buttoned down just the way we like them. And that's a disaster for us. It's a disaster for our family. What's a preference or a matter of daily wisdom can be turned into dogmatism, a must-do in our lives, and fullness of grace is not found there. It's found only in Jesus. Right? So Jesus is the source of grace. Talk about the reach of grace. Jesus is the source of grace. And then finally from verse 17, we can also say that Jesus is the substance of grace. He's the substance, and, and I choose the word substance purposefully there because it's a word Paul uses in a similar context. So in Colossians 2, verse 17, Paul speaks about elements that were prescribed under the law of Moses as shadows. And then he says, but Christ is the substance. Okay, and that helps us even get at what John is telling us here. John says, the law was given through Moses. So, so here's a reference to the law given through Moses. And, and we have to say from the beginning the law or instruction of God through Moses, which is centered on the first five books of the Bible. That's usually how um, the, the scriptures talk about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The instruction that God gave through Moses, the law. That law showed us uh, that we're sinful, right? Which is, of course, 
great grace from God to us to be able to see our need in such a way. It's not as if the law was without grace. That law showed us that the Lord will make a way for sinful people to be His people. That's extraordinary grace, just in that alone. That law showed us that sacrifice was necessary for us to be okay with God because of sin, and He would prescribe the sacrifice. That's extraordinary grace as we think about that. That law also showed us that the animal sacrifices weren't enough. They went on day after day, year after year. The law ultimately pointed us for our ultimate need that it would be fulfilled by Jesus, our great sacrifice once and for all offered for our sin. So, so we have that frame. It's not that John's telling us here that there wasn't grace through the ministry of Moses. It was just shadowy kinds of grace. Right? There was grace there, and there is great grace in the law of Moses in that it still shows us our need. You read the Ten Commandments and you hold that up and you say, how am I doing? And how I'm doing is I really, really need Jesus, right? There's great grace in seeing that truth. However, the law was given through Moses. There's something greater here now, John's saying. Or, or as Paul puts it later, there's substance over shadow now. The law, the instruction of God was given through Moses. Grace and truth, which you remember is God's own way of speaking about His glory and goodness. Remember, grace and truth. Grace and truth, the fullness of who God is for us in grace, came through Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't merely an instruction giver like Moses. Jesus is the one through whom all instruction, uh, the one to whom all instruction was pointing to. And he's the one uh, where grace upon grace is really found in that grace and truth actually came. It wasn't given, grace and truth came, as John says here. It physically showed up in the person of Jesus Christ. So now we see why John put it the way he did earlier when he says grace upon grace. Right? That the grace of the law of Moses shows us our need for a Savior. It still even functions that way, very fruitfully. But now, in the coming of Christ, grace that comes in an overwhelming and fulfilling way has appeared. It's grace upon that grace. The fullness of what all of that Mosaic law was pointing forward to has come now in the person of Jesus Christ. So it's grace upon grace, grace in place of grace. We'll sing the song. They put it grace on top of grace, right? Jesus is the fulfillment of all previous gracious promises of God. He's the pinnacle of God's extravagant gift-giving kindness, which has come. He's the substance of grace that all other graces were pointing forward to. And it's really this point that John is making, which Paul writes the commentary on in his letter to the Colossians. It's always helpful when we're reading the Gospels to recognize that while in the Gospels Jesus is revealed, in the letters of the New Testament, Jesus is explained. We, we, we can always think about the letters in the New Testament as a kind of commentary on the realities that have been revealed through Christ in the Gospels. And, and Paul does that very much so in his letter to the Colossians, where we have those Colossians, you remember, struggling because some bad teachers have come around speaking about this whole notion of fullness. Right? To be full as a Christian believer, you need, for example, they're saying, to adjust your diet. You need to eat in a certain way. Or you need to work in some religious festivals. You need to pay attention to regulations like don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These false teachers were coming into the church at Colossae and, and adding all these things that must be in place if the Colossians are really going to have true fullness of grace as Christian believers. And what does Paul do? Well, he comes along and he says basically what John has been saying all through his prologue. Through Christ all things exist, whether on earth or in heaven. He's preeminent. And he's the one who's made peace by the blood of his cross. Right? 
And, and so Paul makes the point in Colossians 2. He says, in Christ you're full. So you have, uh, you, you have your need to know peace with God forever complete through Jesus. That, that's been done. You're full. You have all you need there. In Christ you're free, Paul says. So that debt of sin you owe, Christ has taken that from you. He's been cut off in our place. He's, those sins have been nailed to the cross. And in Christ, you're forgiven. We've been given new life in Christ, and all our trespasses have been pardoned. And it's that kind of truth that John is laying the foundation for here. Jesus is grace provided, and that in Christ, we're full, free, and forgiven because in Him, the fullness of God's climactic grace has come down. He is the substance of grace. He's lived among us. He died for us. He's risen and returned to heaven to prepare a place, and He's coming again. So, so in all of this, as we think about this, we, we're just reminded of the fact that we are people with a great need. We'd like to think we can put up a buffer. At least I'd like to think I can put up a buffer, a wall here, a boundary there. I can handle it on my own. I'd like to think I can do what's necessary to ultimately hold me up. But really, we're porous. right? We're full of holes. We can't do it. We're in great need. Before God, we're condemned. But in Christ, who is the fullness of grace... We're completely safe because in him is found the fullness of God's undeserved kindness to us. And so oftentimes in our Christian lives, we just need to pause and sit with that truth. The reality that for all that could affect me, for all I might want to wish I could contribute, for all the merit I wish I could bring to the table, for all the merit I feel so guilty about obviously not bringing to the table, for all of this I have Jesus. I have his fullness. For all of this, my marriage has Jesus. For all of this, my kids have Jesus. For all of this, he is the one who provides completely, and he is not a broken sister. He's not a cracked pot who's going to leak grace when I need grace. He is the one who is full and complete, and he's going to provide the grace that we need as we need it. And so we come under this and we can just be encouraged by the significance of what John is telling us and then what John is going to show us as this plays out in Jesus' life and ministry on earth. We're going to have many examples of how this looks as Jesus goes forward. And ultimately, we just find ourselves saying, he's the one I need. And do, do you want to be safe this morning? I want to be safe. Isn't that a, a great longing that we have? I want to be okay. That's why we put up walls to make sure that we're okay from everything. Right? I want to be safe this morning. How am I going to be safe this morning? How will you be safe? And centering my trust on the person who extends this kind of unmerited favor. Who will always extend this kind of unmerited favor. No matter the condition I come to him in. And so, and so we, we're, we're very thankful for that. In Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace from, not his fullness plus some stuff from me. But we have received grace upon grace from his fullness. Which is why we're about to sing here. The first song we'll sing during the Lord's Supper is Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And so we're comforted by that truth. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you'd renew us in this truth in a way that brings us uh, peace in our hearts. We're thankful that in Christ, full supply is provided. Forgive us when we've looked for supply elsewhere, when we think that we can contribute what is necessary to make us whole before you. Uh, Jesus is the reconciler we need. He's the only one, and we need him desperately. And we're so thankful that uh, in him, that grace is provided for all who come to him in faith. And so we do come in faith this morning, saying, Lord Jesus, be our provider, be our sustainer, be the one who makes us okay before the living God. Uh, we trust in no other. Uh, we say this in your holy name. Amen.